I like it when kids are excited about church. I certainly believe God's Word has something for all of us. Amen? I believe um, through the foolishness of preaching, God said that we can grow in faith, we can grow in knowledge and uh, understanding, and hopefully we can grow in uh, Christian practice. Amen? That means that uh, what we're doing right now is important. Amen? Amen. It's important. Uh, it's more important than any of the distractions that the enemy's going to throw at you, and he always has plenty. Um, you get caught on a buzz, or there'll be a beautiful baby that makes a little noise somewhere, and that's okay, that's what babies do. But not everybody has to look at the baby when they're <laughs> Amen? <laughs> the parents certainly need to. But uh, uh, there'll be distractions. Uh, somebody will have to get up and get something or go to the restroom or whatever. Those things are fine. Don't let them distract you from what God's trying to say to you. Amen. Uh, you know, if you can really try to concentrate in and focus on what God is really uh, wanting to speak into your life this morning, really listen. Uh, you know, listen for God's direction. Listen for His answers to the questions that you have deep down in your heart. I believe God wants to answer our questions. I really do. I believe that uh, if we'll listen for His guidance, you you may be glad you did. Is uh, you might leave with a better understanding, and you might leave uh, with a with a, a brighter uh, smile this morning than what you did when you came in. If God will speak to our hearts, it'll be very well uh, very well received. From us. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to go with me, I'm going to go to the Book of James, chapter four. Lately, I've uh, the last. Uh, the last couple messages that God's given me it's been kind of dedicated into, into a, a, a passage of Scripture and uh, I, I'm thankful for that I enjoy getting to look at the Scriptures and really peel through them and, 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 and really weigh them out uh, I want to I do a good job uh, with the Word of God I believe we should handle it carefully uh, I believe we should be mindful of its power and its authority uh, and I believe we should be careful that we don't twist it. Uh, a lot of people like twisting the Word of God. Um, I don't want to ever twist the Word. I don't ever want to uh, deceive or lead astray or try to uh, move the Word in a direction it doesn't want to go. I believe God's Word is sufficient without men's interpretation of it. And I really do believe that. I believe that God's Word uh, speaks for itself. But God has chosen the foolishness of preaching as a way to expound that word and to get that word out into the hearts of people. So in James chapter 4, we'll try to work our way through those first 10 verses uh, together. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war Yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But He gives more grace. 
Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Mm-hmm. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Amen. 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 So much in those ten scriptures that there's no way I could preach that fully. Uh, but we'll do our best to go through what uh, uh, what God wants us to hear today and what we can pull out today. And uh, before we dive into this message, though, into this section of scripture and really go through it, I want you to see something else. If you're a born again believer, uh, if you have by grace through faith. Uh, uh, believe the gospel, put your faith in Christ, repented of sin, uh, and God has given you a new life in Jesus Christ. If, if that describes you, if you, if you are truly a born-again Christian, then the Bible says that you are the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now you need to know that today. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, he said, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. Now, regardless of where you were saved, you, whether you were saved at Pound River Church uh, this past year, whether you were saved at a different church, whether you've been saved 20 years, 30 years, whether I was preaching, whether another man was preaching, whatever the case may be, uh, uh, you've been espoused to one husband. It doesn't matter where or who or when. Uh, there was a debate about that in the Corinthian church forever, right? And, and, and Paul tried to squash it because some were puffed up and they said, well, I was baptized by Paul. Some said, well, I was baptized by Apollos. And Paul said, who was Paul and who was Apollos? We're nobody. <laughs> Paul said, I thank God I baptized hardly any of you. It doesn't matter who was preaching the day we got saved. Amen. It doesn't matter the church we were in the day we got saved. Amen. That doesn't matter. Amen. Those things are not what saves us. What we're talking about today is, is that no matter where you were saved, the day you were saved, you were a spouse. You were given to one husband. Amen. You were given to one person. And I want you to know this morning that just like in the, in the regular world, God takes marriage seriously in the earthly sense. God takes this spiritual marriage, this spiritual union, serious as well. When we commit ourselves into marriage, whether we're talking about earthly or spiritual, God expects faithfulness from us. Amen? Amen? Yes, amen. There's an expectation that we will remain faithful in our spiritual marriage, that we'll remain faithful to our husband, to Christ, to the one who has purchased us with His blood. God sees marriage, even the spiritual marriage, as a covenant, as as a, a, a union, a joining together, of uh, 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 two people. Thank God the day that we were saved, 
God joined together us and Christ. Amen. Because if we weren't joined with Him, we'd be had no hope. We'd be hopeless. No hope. To establish that covenant uh, in the earthly sense, when, when you go to get married, you, you repeat vows that you are expected, they're, they're, they're sacred, that you're expected to keep. Amen. I've done a lot of marriages over the years. I've seen a lot of them stand. I've seen a lot of them fall. But I've heard these vows. I, so-and-so, take you, so-and-so, to be my wife or to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. From this day forward, but when you're joined together with Christ, even though you don't say that vow, that vow is there. Amen. That vow is there. It, it, it's as if uh, it's as if you say, "I, Christian believer, I, newborn again person, take you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior." To have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health. Amen? This, this vow to, to love and to cherish and from this day forward and onward, uh, this vow that we take, this this covenant that we're in, this marriage with Christ, it's, it's, a, it's not an undeserved love that we should have for the Savior. He has earned our affection. Amen. This is an earned love. In Ephesians, when Paul was writing uh, to the church there about marriage, uh, he was using marriage to teach them a lesson about the Gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. And gave Himself for it. Do you see how Christ earned our love? He was deserving of it before that because He was God. Amen. But he was willing to humble himself down and to take on the form of a man to come and dwell in sinful earth and to die for us. What's he expect back? What's he expect back? He expects our love for him. Mm-hmm. That's why this marriage is sacred. It's because Christ was willing to give himself for it. And I say all that to you this morning. Because it's important to understand that as Christians, we are to be His bride. That is one of the ways. There are lots of ways that the Bible describes our relationship with God once we're saved uh, as children, as adopted children, as the bride of Christ. That's another way that He describes it. And that's the way I'm really trying to emphasize to you this morning. Because what's the obligation of the bride? In that, in, in, that, in that section of Scripture in Ephesians, it's not popular today. 
It's not pop. I thank God that truth is not based on popularity. If, if truth was based on popularity, then it would be fine to murder babies. If truth was based on popularity, it would be fine to do all manner of wickedness. But the truth is based on one thing. From my perspective, and for all those who are truly born again, the truth is based on the words in this book. Amen. This is the foundation of truth. There is no other source of it. There's no other source of truth that we can point to. Man's opinion, well, we know what man, man have come up with some of the awfulest concoctions, the biggest lies, and, and the Bible tells us that all men, whether we like it or not, we're all liars, but God is not a man that He should lie. He tells the truth. It's unconditional. It's 100% accurate. And it's not popular today. But when you... Look at it. You begin to understand. In Ephesians 5, 22-24, He says, Wives or brides, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Yes. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Christ. Yes. And He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, in verse 24, you can underline, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In a word that nobody likes, we'll call it what it is, submission. Submission. It's our obligation as Christians today to our Savior to submit to His loving authority over our lives. Submission to His desire. Submission to His will. Submission to what He wants for us. Now that is very difficult to do. When, uh, that, that, I'm talking about submission, that's so difficult unless the person that you're submitting to, unless you can realize how much that person really loves you. When, when you are realizing, if you ask somebody to submit to someone who doesn't treat them well, who doesn't care for them, who doesn't love them, that's a very difficult thing. But when I say that we ought to submit to someone who has laid down his life for us, who cares for us, who protects us and provides for us, who literally was willing to die for us, to suffer for us, who said He would never leave and never forsake us. That should not be that difficult to do. Amen? That part should not be difficult. When you can see the depth of someone's love for you, then you can see their willingness to sacrifice for you. You can see how much they care about you and that they, there's no length that they wouldn't go to for you. When you see that, it's not hard to joyfully submit to that person and say, I'm happy to submit to that person. Amen. We are the bride of Christ and we are supposed to submit, to subject ourselves to Christ. But there's a conflict. And that's what we pick up in James. In our spiritual lives, in our spiritual marriage, 
There's a conflict. So James starts it with this section, uh, with this question in, in the beginning. And he says, where does the conflict come from? Where is the struggle? Why is there a conflict between the Christian and His Savior? Between, between God and His children? Why do we have such a conflict sometimes? He's not talking about the conflict that the church has with the world. He's not talking about that. He's talking about our conflict with God that we have within ourselves. Why does it exist? And James is bold and he gets right to the point. He doesn't waste time. He answers the question. He asks, he says, where does the conflict with God come from? What's the root of the problem? And the answer is us. Most people are always trying to find, they're busy trying to find somebody to pray for their problems. Amen? Always busy trying to figure out who to point to. Why don't I feel close to God anymore? Well, it's, it's this person. If my husband was closer to God, then I would be. Well, if my wife would just do this, then I would then I wouldn't have to have all this uh, pressure and all this temptation. Or if my if my kids were doing this, then I wouldn't have all these struggles. Or if my boyfriend, or if my girlfriend, or if my pastor, or if my uh, neighbor, or if my so and so and such and such, if they would just do their thing. Listen, we have a tendency to want to find somebody to blame. But the conflict, James says, where does the war, where does the fighting come from? Where is it located? It's because of our own lusts. It's us. It's not, it's certainly not God. It's in our own selfishness. That's how James eliminates all the excuses and he makes it so plain. He said, your own selfish passions are the problem. Amen? Amen? They're the problem. Just like we said a few minutes ago, we're called to joyfully submit to the will of our Savior, but we let our own passions get in the way. Amen. We begin to usurp the authority of God. You'll see that in the word in the Scripture. And, and if you don't know what that word means, usurp, it means to take the place of so what we try to do is we try to take the place of God's authority in our life. We try to do that. And we try to provide for ourselves a life that we want. We provide for ourselves uh, this life that hopefully that we can balance the best of both worlds, right? We get to be uh, 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 some Christian and we get to be some worldly and we, we try to balance that out. We try to live this life of compromise to the best of our ability. Yep. But it brings about this great conflict inside of us. Yep. Why is that conflict there? Well, number one, there would be no conflict if we would submit to God. Amen. But because we struggle to submit to God, because we struggle uh, to, to, to really let our lives go and give them to God and say, God, here's my life completely, uh, there's this conflict because you're not in control of your life. You're supposed to yield control to the living God who lives inside of you. But you're wanting to do something different than He wants. Now the conflict is there. Now it's real. 
You see, the spirit that lives inside of you as a Christian, I'm talking to born-again Christians, the spirit that lives inside of you knows God's plans for you. He knows what tomorrow holds already. He's not going through it with you. He's already been through it and is in you. He already knows what's ahead. He searches and knows, the Bible says, the deep things of God. He's always working in you for His glory, for your good. Always working those things out. But we try to do it on our own. We try to make our own path. We try to make our own way. We try to make our we even try to make our own version of Christianity. Amen. We try to develop one that's more comfortable to us. Yep. Amen? Yep. Amen. We don't we, we look at the book and the things we don't like we're quick to leave behind. Yep. The things that we do like we're quick to want to get everybody else to do. Yep. Amen? Amen. And everything else <coughs> lays out there. But the reality is, is we need to live our Christian life not because we're trying to impress God, not because of any of I want to impress God, but I know that even my best works will be like filthy rags. But I also believe, I've come to the place where I understand and know that if I live out this book the way that it says that I should, then I will have a better life. Yes, amen. I will have. I may not have prosperity, and that's fine. I don't need prosperity. I'll have spiritual prosperity. Yes. I'll have a. I'll have a close relationship with God. I'll have peace and joy. I'll have hope. Uh, I'll have faith. I'll have all these gifts that God gives uh, uh, that are much better than what money ever could be. Amen. Much better. If I'll trust the book. If I'll trust the Savior. So James says, what's the problem? We've got these wars because of our own lust. Because of our selfish passions. And he says the solution is, you have not because you ask not. Now that is submission. We always take it to mean that if we go to God in prayer, well, we'll get what we we'll get what we ask for because He says you have not because you ask not. This is really talking about submission. It's being able to say, listen, the reason you don't have peace because what He's talking about is conflict, not possessions. The reason you don't have peace is because you're not asking for God's will in your life. You're trying to force your will on Him. You're trying to force what you want. You're trying to bend God to your will. And it doesn't work that way. You need to go to God and say, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to have? How do you want me to behave? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to dress? How do you want me to talk? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to speak? All the, how do you want me to work? All these things. God, show me how you want me to do all these things. And then do them. Yes. When He reveals it to you. Amen. So much of our gap in life is because we know what the Word says. We just won't do what the Word says. Amen. Amen. How many conflicts would be solved? 
if we would ask God sincerely what He wants instead of trying to tell God what we want. Yeah, yeah. Amen? Amen. How many marriage conflicts would be solved if we would look to the Scriptures and do what they say? Amen? Amen. How, how many parenting issues could we solve if we would look to the Scriptures and do what they say? Amen. So much of the conflict that we have in our lives, so much of this spiritual conflict that we face is because we refuse to ask God for direction because we don't want to follow what God wants. We want to do what the world says we ought to do. Amen. But here's the problem, James says. I know this is a lot like a Bible study, so you just hang with me. I'm just going through this verse by verse with you. But it's important. When we finally do ask, here's our problem. We ask amiss. Because we want to get what we want, not what He wants. Amen? I wonder how many prayers have went up. God changed my life. God changed my husband. Not God changed me. Amen? Amen. Isn't that the way it works? Amen. I've sat through a lot of marriage counseling over the years, done a lot of marriage counseling for people, and it's never their fault. <laughs> Whose fault? Whichever one you're talking to. <laughs> it's never their fault. It's always the other one's fault. And what they want you to tell them is not what the Bible says. They want you to tell them what to tell their spouse that will make them different. And here's the, here's the answer to that. If you ever want marriage counseling, here's the answer. You can't make somebody different. You can't change anybody. You can change Only one person you can change is yourself. Worry about fixing yourself. Being the person that you know you're supposed to be. Let God fix them. Just like God's fixing us. Amen. Amen. I have a lot of unsatisfied marriage counseling couples that probably didn't like, didn't like over the years the, the way it went. <coughs> See, what, what it is is we want some worldly thing. That's what James is saying. He said you ask amiss because what you're really asking for is what you want. I think you may consume it upon your lusts. Right, that you may have your desires. You're asking for what you want. We want some worldly thing. And, and, and when our efforts to get it have failed, when we can't do it on our own, you think it's crazy. Here's the most important part to remember. Right? Don't ask God to give you things you want more than Him. Yeah, amen. Don't ask God to give you things that you want more than Him. Why would God give us that? One old preacher said one time, he said, why would a husband give his wife money to take her boyfriend out? <laughs> right? Think about it. That's what you do when you ask God to give you some worldly thing. You're saying, God, there's something out there that I want so much more. It's different when you have a need. We can go to God and we can pour out our hearts. And God says He knows our needs even before we ask Him. Right? But we can go to God and you can say, God, I have a need and I need this in my life and I want to use it. I want to do right and I want to do good and this would be a blessing and God will understand and hear that. But when you say to God, God, I want this worldly thing and God knows in advance that you're going to put that thing 
before Him, then you're ultimately going to make that thing an idol which God hates? Why would He give you that thing? You ask amiss. That you may consume it upon your own lusts. Remember, you and I are His bride. He's jealous over us. The Bible says He's a jealous God. He wants us to be His and not another. Amen? Jealousy can be an awful thing. It can be an awful thing. But there is a godly jealousy that's a wonderful thing. There is such a thing as godly jealousy. Just just think about it for a minute. Just imagine for a minute a man that... Uh, I, I tried to think of a good analogy this morning that I could describe. This is the best I could tell up. Probably not... It's probably not the best analogy, but, but you might be able to poke all kinds of holes in it, but just go with me. A man uh, sees a woman lying in a gutter with a needle in her arm. And she's, she's overdosing and she's dying and he runs to her. And he, he picks her up out of the gutter and he sells everything that he has that he might be able to get her through treatment and get her through therapy and he gives his whole life to help get her cleaned up, right? And he loves her and she becomes his wife. But now, after they've been married, his wife wants to turn back to the needle. She wants to go back and, 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 and he doesn't want to lose her. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to see her ruin her life. He doesn't want to see her uh, go back in the gutter. He doesn't want to see her die an awful death. So the husband tries to keep her from going places where the drugs are available. He warns her. He fights for her. He does everything he can to keep her from falling back into that gutter, back into that addiction again. And I know that's not a perfect analogy, but in my mind, that's the way God's jealousy works for us. He fights for us because He rescued us from the gutter. He was the one that brought us out from where we were. He loved us when there was nothing lovely about us. When there was nothing good in us, He was there. He gave Himself for us. He gave everything. He left heaven. He, He was forsaken by the Father. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died. The God that was eternal tasted death on our behalf. Pulled us up out of the gutter. And now we want to go back and put the needle in our arm again because the world looks good when the world is the one that put us in the gutter. Why go back to that? The, the, the Bible says, Peter said, he said, he said, you were once enlightened, you had all this knowledge, you understood the love of God, but you're like dogs who go back to their vomit. You're like sows who go back to, that you wash them up and make them clean, and when you put them back out, they go right back and flop them up. And he said, the end for that person is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them never to have known the way than to have known the way and turned from it and to have forsaken it. It's adultery with the world. It's spiritual adultery. Look at James 4, verses 4 and 5. James 
cuts it out. He doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to sweet talk those that he's writing to. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain the spirit that dwells in us loves to envy? Think about it for a, moment, for a minute. Just think about it. We found the one that truly loves us. He's got our best interest at heart. He's working all things together for good. He gave Himself for us. He did all this for us. He pulled us up out of that gutter like we talk about. And we want to go back to the world? No wonder he says you adulterers yes. and adulteresses. Yes. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Yes. Are you living separate from the world today, or does your life look just like theirs? Ask yourself. Really ask yourself. Is your marriage different from the marriage of unbelievers? Is, 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 is your home different than the home of unbelievers? Is your attitude different than the attitude of those who don't know Christ? Is your work ethic different? Is your parenting different? Is the way you spend your time different? Is the way you spend your money different? Are your affections and interests different? Or are you a mirror of the world who just calls yourself a Christian? Here's the thing, church. We know in the last days, we know Paul told Timothy, he said in these latter times, in these last days, it's dangerous times. Perilous is the word he used. It's dangerous times. Because, why? Because men love themselves and they love pleasure more than they love God. Amen? That's, the, that's what the Scripture declares. That the reason that these times are dangerous that we're living in, the reason why it's so easy to commit spiritual adultery is because what we've done is we've traded love for the Savior for love for ourselves and love for pleasure. In the world we're living in, it's so tempting to want to be like them. To do what they do. To care about the things they care about. To chase their approval. To want to be popular. To want to be seen as, as uh, super intelligent or super beautiful or super this or super that. To fit in with those around you. And the most amazing thing is, is that there are those people out there who think that they're being different. Right? They, they think, well, I'll, 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 I'll dress different or I'll look different or I'll act different uh, uh, than, than those other unbelievers and that'll separate me away. But they're not. They're just the same. They're all just the same. I was just the same. So many distractions that take us away from God. Amen. 
so many temptations that we face it. Access to sin is easier now than it's ever been. Easier. You're a click away. You're a phone call away. You're, you're a text message away from falling. But Christ says plainly, friendship with the world is enmity. That word means being opposed or hostile with God. In other words, when we try to compromise with the world, we become opposed to God. We commit spiritual adultery. We leave the one who loves us for a one-night stand with the world. We trade true love for a little pleasure. You know how many marriages I've seen fall because of that? Somebody at home loves them. But just for a minute, their eye sees something they want. And they trade true love. They trade 